Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm, a book of Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seats, seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God. All right, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. It's uh, Rob, thank you so much for sharing the pulpit this morning. And um, this is my third time to be with you at Hope, New Hope. Uh, there's a couple of, we have Hope Fellowship in Taiwan, and so sometimes I get mixed up. New Hope, thank you, Brian. Brian's always serving me. <laughs> um, such a joy to be back in New York and, or in the New York area, and to be with all of you. And uh, I'm so grateful for the partnership that we have together for the gospel. And let me just tell you a little bit about Mission Taiwan. Rob's already uh, said a few things about the work that we're doing in Taichung. Um, my wife and I did move there in 2013, and since that time we've done quite a bit of student ministry, and that's what Brian was involved in when he was there for those couple of years. And since uh, COVID happened, a lot of the student ministry has kind of been put on hold, and hopefully over the next year or so we'll be able to revive some of that, and along with our new workers coming We'll be able to restart that. But something that we've really uh, been excited to be a part of is this church planting ministry because uh, one of the things that you're probably wondering about, as are many people and many of our supporters right now, is what's going on with China and Taiwan because that seems to be in the news quite a bit recently. Um, we don't know. I mean, who knows what China's going to do. Uh, but ultimately, it's in God's hands, and we don't feel afraid right now. So uh, the people in Taiwan, are, we're going about our daily lives, we're living, and we're going to keep on going until the Lord changes something. We trust God with what's going to happen, and so we're not, we're not overly concerned about the, the current situation. I think the news is making a bigger deal out of some things than needs to be made a bigger deal out of, but... Uh, we're not overly concerned right now. We need to continue doing the work that God has given us to do to prepare the nationals so that if something does happen, they can go on and continue ministry without us if we were to be kicked out of the country. So that's what we want to do is plant as many churches, as many local congregations as we can, support those church plants uh, to get them healthy, uh, to get them gospel-focused and gospel-centered, uh, so that they can do the work of ministry and continue to grow and, and reach people for the gospel. So that's our work right now, is to really support these local church planters that are doing the work of the gospel. So we have one church plant that we started a couple of years ago that's called Hope Fellowship, and that church plant's doing really well. Uh, it's growing, and actually over the past couple of uh, months, They've even identified a young Taiwanese girl in their congregation who's interested in going on the mission field. So that's something we're really excited about is seeing that church 
send out its own missionaries uh, in the future. So we're, uh, we're really thankful for that. So her, this girl's name is Leanne. So you can pray for Leanne, that God would continue to work in her heart and prepare her uh, to go on the mission field sometime in the next couple of years. Um, then we've got a couple of more church planners that we're working with whose churches are kind of right on the cusp. One of them was started this past Christmas, and another one of these church plants was started in the last year. And they're, they're just at the beginning. They're, they're still struggling to kind of get off the ground. And so um, if you want to keep up with what's going on, um, you can join our newsletter list. You can do that by going to our, our website, missiontaiwan.org, and sign up there. Or you can talk to Brian, and he can hook you up uh, by getting on our newsletter list. We'd love to have you be a part of that and keep up with what's going on. Um, this morning, I do want to talk uh, mainly about God's Word. Um, that's the most important thing we can talk about on Sunday mornings, right? So Psalm 1. I had no idea you guys were in the book of Psalms, so God uh, beautifully orchestrated that. And Rob told me that um, he was actually going to preach on Psalm 1 and backed off of that. And so he's, uh, it just worked out perfectly this morning, I guess, by God's grace, that that's where we are. So Psalm 1 is where we're going to look at this morning. Let me ask you a question. What do you need for a happy life or a blessed life? What would, how would you answer that question? What, what, would, what do you need to have a blessed life? Uh, there was a survey done of millennials recently. And, you know, you can make a survey say whatever you want it to say. So, you know, who knows what it actually says. But this particular survey said this, that uh, 80% of millennials said that in order to be happy, they needed to be rich. All right? So maybe some of us would fall in that camp this morning, that in order to be happy, we would, we would want to be rich. 50% said they wanted to be famous. All right? So that was their goal, maybe to be a YouTuber or Instagram star or something like that. Now, of course, they had other goals too, like having a happy family or a successful career or something like that. 75 years uh, ago, Harvard started a study. It was called the Grant, or it's called, it's still in effect actually, it's the Grant and Gluck study. I don't know if any of you have heard of this study. It's, it tracked 456 poor men who, were, uh, who they chose from Boston from 1939, and they chose 268 male graduates from Harvard's classes of 1939 to 1944. And they tra have tracked these men up until the present day. And every year, they ask these men a number of questions about their life. And they wanted to figure out, this, this is one of the longest studies that's ever been done in the history of studying people and trying to figure out what makes people tick and what makes, and, and the goal of this study was to figure out what makes people happy. What, what would really give you a blessed and satisfied life? And currently, out of the original group of men, uh, this was about 700 people, there's only 60 to 70 of the original men who are still alive, the, and they're all in their 90s. So they're asking these men every year, okay, tell us about your health, tell us about your relationships, tell us about what uh, your work. Uh, so they have all these comprehensive questions that they're asking these men. What do you think they learned from studying these men? What do you think the, the, the overall outcome of this study was that they figured out from these men, 
what makes a happy life. What they found was relationships, good relationships build a happy life. It wasn't what kind of job you ended up in. It wasn't what, how much money you had. It wasn't any other factor. It was good relationships. People who were connected to their family, friends, and community were happier, healthier, and lived longer than those who were less connected. The more isolated you were, they were less happy, and they lived shorter lives. As a matter of fact, they figured out by the time these men were 50 years old, they could tell those who would live the longest lives. They could tell those who would live into their healthiest lives at the age of 80. Good relationships, they determined, don't just protect their bodies, they protected their brains. So good relationships are good for us. Now today, I want us to look at Psalm 1, and I'll come back to this study in just a little bit and and show you how I think it, it has something to say for us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This psalm presents us with a choice, a fork in the road, two different paths. One way is blessed and happy, and the other is a tragic road of loss and ruin. So there's a couple of ideas presented in the psalm, and let me just walk you through those real quickly. And um, the first is this. You have to know when to say no. You have to know when to say no. We tend to think of happiness or being blessed in terms of our ability to do things, in terms of our ability to say yes to things. We think we're happiest when we're freest. But the psalmist says we're blessed or happy when we're restricted, when we don't do certain things. He says, walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't walk with the wicked. Stand in the pathway with sinners. Don't associate with sinners. Sit in the company of mockers. Don't build your life with mockers. Walk, stand, and sit. These are the habits of life. These are the the ways that we live, the things we're constantly doing. The counsel, the pathway, and the company These are the people that you listen to. The wicked, the sinners, and the mockers, these are the company that you keep. First, he says, we're to avoid the counsel of the wicked. The wicked are mentioned four times in this psalm. It's difficult to avoid imitating and becoming like those we walk with daily. Be careful where you go, the people that you listen to. Not all advice is good advice. And even good advice is not godly advice. What are you listening to? What are you, what are you putting into your mind? Right now in my congregation, something that's really popular is a certain podcast. I won't say the name because maybe I'll, be, maybe I'll offend some of you. 
but uh, there's a certain podcaster who's really popular right now, and every, it seems like every week somebody comes up to me and says, oh, have you listened to so-and-so's latest, you know, whatever this guy has said? And this guy's not a Christian. He's not a believer. He uses the Bible, but he's not a Christian. He's not giving godly advice. He's giving good advice, but he's not giving godly advice. But people are just hanging on his every word. What about you? What are you hanging on? What are you, what are you putting into your mind for advice and counsel? Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. This includes the things that you listen to, the things that you watch. What are you filling your mind with? Godly and wise counsel or worldly advice? Don't stand with sinners. The idea here is that of staying a while, stopping to look around and listen, hanging out, hanging around. The word pathway describes a way of life, the way someone lives. So be careful who you are influenced by, the people that you hang out with. You will begin to imitate those that you spend the most time with. So who are you spending time with? Who, who is affecting you? You will begin to imitate them. Don't sit with mockers or fools. The idea is that ultimately you become comfortable with a certain way of life. You sit in it and it's now your home. The things of God don't matter anymore and you even begin to mock them. Do you know when to say no? Do you know when to cut things out of your life? Do you know how to avoid certain things? That's the first principle from the psalm. But do you know when to say yes? The psalmist gives us a plan and a promise for pursuing a life that pleases God and brings blessing and joy. He says, instead, blessed is the person whose delight is in the Lord's instruction. The Lord's instruction. What is the Lord's instruction? Well, simply put, it's the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the one another's in Scripture. It's all of Scripture. Do you have a plan for reading the Bible? Do you, do you read the Bible regularly? Is the Bible part of your life? Just like maybe every day you have certain podcasts that you listen to or certain TV shows that you watch. Do you have the Bible on that list? Is the Bible a regular part of your daily life? Now, why doesn't the psalmist just say, don't do this, do do this. Don't do these things, do do these things. Why does he say the blessed person meditates on the law of the Lord? Meditates on the law of the Lord. Joshua 1.8 says this, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Did you hear what he said? You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. What does he mean to meditate? What is it to meditate? To meditate means to think over something by talking to oneself. When you meditate on something, it becomes part of your life. Now, let me give a couple of examples. Uh, some of you may be video gamers. I don't know, do we have any video gamers in the room? 
All right, all right. We got one in the front row. We got some in the back. All right, all right. Nothing. I'm, and this is not a knock on video games. Okay, so nobody think I'm knocking on video games. Okay, right? everybody's got a form of entertainment that they enjoy. But when you get a new video game, okay, when you get a new video game, what do you do? You spend time with it. All right. You spend time with it. You learn its ways. You find out its secrets. You explore it. You discover all the things you can do to master it. You're meditating on it. You're meditating on it. Some people are that way with sports. Some people are that way with sports. They know everything about a particular team. Brian. (laughs) They learn the stats. They go to the games. They dress in the team colors. Brian. (laughs) They're meditating on the sport. Some people are that way with particular TV or movie franchise or a book series. We have a guy in our congregation who absolutely lives Star Wars. He lives Star Wars so much. He he comes up to me, not uh, he, he would do it every week, but now he knows I don't like it. But he comes up to me and he'll be like, hey, have you thought, what if Star Wars ended this way? And he'll come up with these alternate endings for Star Wars. And I'm like, that's so dumb. Like, (laughs) anyway, I'm sorry, I probably should be nicer anyway. But they meditate on the characters. He's thinking about these different viewpoints and possible storylines. Listen, we're delighting and meditating on the things that we love all the time. The psalmist says, and actually throughout the Bible, we're taught that God's followers, his true followers, will delight in, will love, and will meditate on his word. How much would we be transformed if we took just some of the brain power we use for these other pursuits and focused it on meditating on God's word? Take back, claw back some of that time and put it into his word so it can have a transforming effect on your life. The psalmist says, he or she is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The psalmist says that God's will is fruitful and prosperous. Now the writer of this psalm would have lived in a desert landscape So a beautiful, leafy fruit tree located by a stream of water would have been quite striking. This kind of life will be quite striking. What's the psalmist thinking of here? A life that bears fruit, blessings to others. A tree that bears fruit brings pleasure and nourishment to those that find it. Likewise, our lives in the same way will bring pleasure and nourishment to those around us. He says, and whatever he does prospers. Now, does this mean a life of wealth and prosperity for those who who follow God's ways? I'm not sure that's what the psalmist has in mind, but he does have something in mind, or he wouldn't have used those words. I think it's a life that's devoted to God that will bring a prosperity of some kind, but it can't be a prosperity of earthly riches because earthly riches rise and fall. God's riches don't rise and fall with the times. The prosperity that God gives can't be tied to earthly riches. It's a prosperity of happiness and joy that God gives. 
So we say no to some things. We say yes to some things. We say yes to certain, some people. We say yes to certain people. You could rewrite the first section of this psalm to go something like this. Blessed is the person whose habits, walking, standing, and sitting, are in the path and the company of the godly, the righteous, and the hopeful. Let me say that again. Blessed is the person whose habits, walking, standing, and sitting, are in the path and the company of the godly, the righteous, and the hopeful. If you think back to that study that I referenced at the beginning, the Harvard study, the psalmist is affirming that the truths that the Harvard study discovered. Our relationships are important. Who we surround ourselves with makes a difference, not only for the quantity of life we have, but the quality of life that we share. The church is important. This church body is important to you. That's why I'm so glad you're here, you're showing up, you're putting yourself into community with the family of God. But there's a warning in this psalm. The wicked are not so. I think the old King James says, not so the wicked. I love the King James for this particular verse. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked are not like the ones who meditate on the word of God. They have no chance to grow into a fruit-bearing tree planted by a life-giving stream. They're like chaff. Now, do you know what chaff is? When you harvest something like wheat, the wheat kernel grows with a shell or a husk around it. Like if you eat peanuts and you crack the peanut open, the peanut has that kind of papery thin husk around it. And some people eat it, some people throw it away, but it's worthless. There's no nutritional value. The same thing with wheat. There's no nutritional value to this papery thin husk that surrounds the wheat grain. So in the old days, the farmer would take the wheat grains and, or the wheat uh, stalk and lay them on the threshing floor. The threshing floor was a a stone floor, and actually it came from thrashing floor because they would thrash the wheat. They would hit it with uh, sticks or something, and that would separate the wheat grain from the husk, and then they would pick the wheat up and throw it up into the air, and as long as there was any kind of wind blowing, the husk that the chaff, as it was called, was so light and so worthless the wind would blow it away, but the grain had weight, and so it would fall back to the ground, and the, harbor, the, the farmer could separate the worthless product from the worthwhile product. The psalmist is drawing a very clear distinction here. One type of life has weight and is useful to God, while another type of life is weightless and useless. He says the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will not survive is what he's saying. This is really serious. They won't make it in the judgment. Who is like this person? If you meditate on God's word, devote yourself to God's word, you will stand. 
But if you don't, you won't. When I think about this description, when I read this psalm, and I think about myself in light of this, it's actually a little terrifying to read because I'm, I don't think I measure up. I'm not sure I measure up. I examine my own life and I find myself lacking. So who does measure up? Who is the Psalm 1 person? Is there anybody who measures up? Just think about the people in the Bible, Adam and Eve. They made it for a few days, and then they took the advice of the wicked. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all three at one time or another stood with the sinners. Moses struck the rock and disobeyed God and did a few other bad things. David was an adulterer and a murderer. There's, there's nobody who measures up. Well, there's one. You know who I'm talking about. Jesus. Listen to this psalm with him in mind. I'll read it from a different translation. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Jesus is the Psalms one man. Jesus did something on our behalf that we are unable to do for ourselves. Jesus did stand up in the judgment. He survived the judgment because he was not wicked. He was righteous. He lived a perfect life and could stand before God sinless offering himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. And now he stands in the assembly of the righteous, leading the assembly of the righteous. And because of what Jesus has done, we, his followers, can also become Psalms 1 people because of his transforming power. You and I can become a Psalms 1 person. We can be transformed by following the command by meditating on his word. It's not something we do. That's why the psalmist doesn't say, do this, don't do that. Because it's not something you do, it's something that's already been done. And by meditating on what's been done for us, we're transformed into a life of beauty and blessing. Let me ask you a question. You, you, you live in one of the most wonderful places in the world because you're right on the doorstep, doorstep of New York City, which has some of the most wonderful art museums in the world. How many of you love to go and look at art? Anybody? When you go and look at art, what do you do? You don't do anything, do you? You just look at it. You just look. What happens when you look at something of great beauty? 
you become more beautiful. Some of you aren't into art. You like the ocean. So you just go and you sit at the ocean and you are amazed by its immensity and its wonderfulness. And you're made more beautiful. Some of you love nature. So you go out into the woods, up into the mountains, and the beauty of the place makes you more beautiful. That's what the psalmist is trying to communicate to us here. By meditating on the most beautiful thing in the universe, we become more beautiful. Only by meditating on the Lord Jesus Christ himself can you be transformed into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We don't work harder as Christians. We believe deeper. We see Jesus as our substitute, and it changes us from the inside out so that we want to become like him. That's what it means to be a Christian. There's two kinds of people here today. Okay? So let's all examine ourselves for just a moment. One kind of person today here is already a Christian, and the other kind of person here is a not-yet-Christian. You're either a Christian or you're not yet a Christian. So you have a, a choice, a couple of choices here today. Christians, we have a choice to dive more deeply into this life, to have this power be released into our life by meditating more deeply on the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what level of Christianity you're at. We can all grow more deeply into the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet to be Christians, you need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in danger. You're in danger. The, the, the Bible doesn't pull any punches. The Bible calls things what they are. And the Bible says here, you're in the camp of the wicked. But you can be transformed today. Today, you can be brought into Christianity. The Bible gives a clear path. Repent of your sins, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and ask to be saved, and you will be saved. Examine yourself today and make whatever choice the Lord has laid before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful psalm. None of us measure up. But because of what you've done, we can all be transformed. Every one of us can be changed by gazing on the beauty of your son. So, for those of us who already call you our Lord, I pray that we will go ever more deeper, that we will look ever more deeply at the Lord Jesus Christ today and be transformed by his beauty. 
For those who have yet to call you Lord, I pray today that they would receive you as their Lord and see you as the most beautiful thing. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers and you answer them according to your will in Christ Jesus. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.